You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, I feel all right now. Hey, I feel all right now. Do you feel like I do right now? Do you feel like I do right now? Motivated. Motivated. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio, and this is David's Pick. And uh, I'm David, and I get to pick who's on, and uh, generally speaking, we have a veteran on on this show, and uh, courtesy of um, Colonel Rick White, retired, who is the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And before we get started, we started something because a friend of mine, uh, a veteran friend, had very severe surgery several weeks ago and as it has turned out he's it's almost a miraculous recovery uh, he had because of agent orange he had tongue cancer and uh, they literally had to take most of his tongue and after that they reconstructed it and said you know it'll probably be months and or weeks at least weeks if not months before he can speak and he'll have to go through all of this therapy but being a good ranger as he was uh, he came through it and because they didn't take the tip of his tongue uh, he's already speaking and uh, he's a very very close friend and my I salute him all the time and I think what helped was the day that he was having surgery was the day we started having just a, a moment of silence for all of our veterans that uh, that have served and served us so well over the years, and they have given so much. And if you'll join me, we just um, take a minute and think about them and uh, thank God for our military and our veterans that serve so well. So We'll start and we'll have our guest on momentarily. If you'll just take a minute and uh, think about your relatives that may have been veterans or may be veterans, our friends and our people that are going in. So just wanted to uh, thank our maker for doing and taking, taking care of and protecting our veterans. Thank you. So today we have Keith Bogle on, and uh, Keith's a veteran, and uh, we're very fortunate to have him on. Uh, the uh, as I mentioned at the very start, uh, Rick White, Colonel White, retired, is uh, has gotten to be a, a such a good friend, and he's he's Mister Everything. I think he and a guy named Roger Wise. Roger knows everybody, and uh, Rick. Um, works closely with uh, Roger and uh, and Roger has been doing well you can tell he's an officer because he keeps doing such a great job of, of uh, lining up guests to be on America's Web Radio and David's Pick and I want to thank him, always want to thank him and then um, Keith is here and we're going to talk about something that's right around the corner from both of us I guess uh, I know it's right around the corner for me. It's in Newtown Park. And uh, the Johns Creek Veterans Association, 
decided, and uh, by the way, it's uh, Mike Mazel is the president of the organization, and uh, I have to say, Mike's an okay guy. No, he's a great guy. Like, you know, all veterans are. Oh, wait a second. I gotta, I gotta ask the one tough question that I ask uh, Keith, and that is, and I've been to, to one of the Johns Creek meetings and so forth, and going to have a full intent of joining. But the one hard question that I'll ask, and if you can't answer it right off, well, you've got an hour to think about it. And that is, have you ever met a veteran that can tell only one story? <laughs> no. I, Im- I, I think it's impossible because it always leads one story leads to another leads to another. And what do you got if you got a group of veterans together? You got the one upsman going. Well, we do call our our social hour the beer brats and BS sessions. So, you know, it's a whole lot of that. <laughs> but no, I love veterans. I love their stories, and you know, and what what I love the most about it is they're true. Now, they, you know, every now and then a submarine mic might embellish it just a <laughs> little bit. But for the most part, they're all true stories. And uh, if if you're not fortunate to, enough to know a veteran, then you ought to go out and find one. And uh, just ask them, you know, what they did. And it, it, you'll, you'll find it tremendously interesting. Another thing about that, though, is when you hear them telling the stories, they're never war stories. Because those who saw the war, they don't talk about it. No, you're right. And if somebody's talking about war stories and stuff, they're lying to you. They they weren't there. The guys who saw it, they don't talk about it. That's right. And, in fact, uh, and like I, I mentioned and like I make clear on every show, yes, I served during Vietnam, but they've tagged it as Vietnam era. And uh, I spell it E-R-R-O-R, and they spell it E-R-A, but... Uh, it's to each his own, but anyway, uh, if I weren't a veteran, I've been told too that you know I went through it. I raised my hand just like everybody else does, and a lot of veterans, whether they'll t- and like you said, most of them, World War Two will finally start breaking down and tell some stories. Uh, particularly, I found Navy will, but um, no, you're right, and, and and I've been told too that if I couldn't talk to the people that I've talked to if I hadn't have been there and done that. We all go through basic of some sort or the other, and we all have stories about basic and everything else. So uh, I feel very fortunate that, uh, like yourself, uh, that you'll come on the show and, and we can talk. And uh, Well, there's another thing that, that Colonel White is always reminds us of that, that I think is important to remember is that whenever you raise your hand and you take that oath, after that the government decides where you go. If you see combat, they dictated it. If you didn't, it was somebody. Because he was telling a story that because Rick he was in Vietnam twice. He was supposed to go back for a third time, whenever the war was uh, the, the fighting stopped, and they were commemorating some some folks that they lost over there. And he was talking to a buddy of his, who I guess he had gone through OCS with, who was stationed in Europe. And this guy was telling Rick about how guilty he felt because he had spent the whole war in Europe and not on the battlefield in the jungles of Vietnam. And Rick said, well, you raised your hand just like I did. After that, it, was a gov- it wasn't your fault. And it, and it is a matter of circumstance. I mean, for what, everyone that served in country, there was like six or eight behind them that never were. So, 
the, yeah, the support troops and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, I look at it today, it's a different time, different era and all, but uh, <laughs> if it weren't for reserves today, we basically wouldn't have a military. It's true. And uh, they've been called up, and they, they have performed well. And, uh, you know, so... It's an interesting situation, and if if uh, if you're a veteran and you've got a story that you want to tell, uh, let me know. Just send me an email, gm at America's Web Radio, and we'll be glad to talk to you. And uh, if you have a person that is a veteran, or you or a family member or a friend that needs a silent moment, let us know, and we'll be glad to dedicate a show to them. And, uh, you know, I I, uh, I think that asking other brothers to say a word for my friend helped him and uh, has gotten him through a, a troubled time. So, anyway, we, we'll stop with that and start talking to Keith about, I've, you know, this, this is a first, Keith, I think. I'm not sure. But... Uh, we went to school when there was a thing called a Southwest Conference, <laughs> and uh, we might have played a little football against each other. And uh, I can't say that Texas Tech really had a whole lot of respect for a uh, University of Texas back then, but uh, we all went to school. We all were in the Southwest Conference, and it's sort of like being in the military, which is, and I say this every week, is the military is the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world and you always have the military in common with anybody you meet or anything else now so you go to the university of texas in austin um i love austin as a matter of fact or used to when i was in texas but uh in all of that area and have a good friend that lives in dripping springs just outside of austin and uh so you went to uh, Texas, and uh, why did you decide on Texas? Well, I was uh, <clears throat> in the military. I ended up at Burstam Air Force Base. I was uh, married, and my, my wife and I had met at language school in Monterey. And she was in uh, military intelligence, and so she was at Fort Hood. And I had this contract when I went into the military, and they, they screwed me over from day one because I, I enlisted for six years, because I was supposed to go to basic radio school overseas for a year, then come back and go to college as and get paid as an E5, and then owe them two for one, two years for every one year that they put me through college. Well, they did away with the program before I even got out of basic training. And I, I enlisted for six years because I got a promotion right out of basic training that normally took a year. And, um, and now, to so, clarify, you were in the Air Force, right? I was, I was in the Air Force, yes, sir. And... Um, so anyway, one thing led to another. So she um, she ended up at Fort Hood, and because they they broke my contract, I had the choice of getting out of the military or picking my base and taking whatever job was available at that base or picking my job and then going anywhere in the world where that job was open in the Air Force. Well, she got her orders to go to Fort Hood to the, the military intelligence unit there, so I just got a map out and uh, ex, uh, that's uh, uh, oxymoron, by the way. Yes, it is. And um, well, especially for her, she was an interrogator, and she had to go through interrogation school at Wachuca 
Fort Huachuca outside of Tucson twice because they had to break her spirit. To, she she had to become a whole new person to be able to do that. Anyway, so I picked out the I picked up a map and Bergstrom in Austin was the closest Air Force base. Now I grew up in Virginia and I entered the military from Virginia and Virginia wanted me to pay state income tax. Uh, while I was gone, even though I may set foot in the state a long weekend once a year to see my folks at a holiday or whatever, and Texas had no state income tax. So I became a state resident, and then I wanted, I decided I was going to get an accounting degree for some reason because I had a thing for numbers, and Texas had a top 10 undergraduate school in the country. And being a state resident, it only cost me $4 a credit hour to go to school. Wow. So that's how I ended up with Texas, and uh, my wife and I, we bought a house, and I, I went to school full-time and, went and worked full-time because my GI Bill made my house payment plus $25, and if I went to school year-round, that money kept rolling in. Then I also got a job working full-time as a computer operator, and I got hired. The IT director was a retired chief Navy chief petty officer, and he loved my story, so he hired me. So they they paid my tuition plus fifty percent of my books plus a salary, and so I was actually. And whenever I got my accounting degree, I was making more money working full time and living in Austin than anybody. They offered me to start as an accountant. And I still had money left on the GI Bill, so I stayed in another year and got a, at the time it was called a data processing and analysis degree, but it turned into what is now an MIS program. They determined that computer science majors were too bit and byte oriented about the internal workings of a computer, but they didn't know how to, to use the computer to solve a business problem. So they put the focus in the business school. So I was able to complete that in in a year because I didn't have to take a lot of the extra math and stuff because it was mostly business courses that I'd already had. So then it turned out, and I spent the next 35 years designing accounting systems on a computer. So it worked out wow. pretty well. You know, uh, you mentioned your wife at Fort Hood. Uh, unfortunately, I was... Uh not unfortunately. I, I can't say I ever really suffered when I was in basic or doing my two weeks or whatever it happened to be. But I didn't know Fort Hood very well. And uh, they had, because it was a mechanized training uh, fort, and um, those those tracks would grind up dirt and rocks into little bitty pieces <laughs> of dirt that you felt like you were walking in mush, you know, or marching in mush. And you'd sink almost, and it'd be dry as it could be, but you'd sink down into that dirt just like you were walking in a, in a swamp or something. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting since she was at Fort Hood, which is outside Colleen, and I was at Berkshire in Austin, it's about 90 miles apart. So we took turns for a while. We'd live in an apartment in Austin, and she would travel back and forth to Fort Hood. And then for a while, we lived up there, and I would travel back and forth to Austin. We were living out in a trailer in Lake Belton, which is oh, I know Lake between Belton, yeah. Kel- uh, Colleen and Waco. Yeah. And those artillery pieces that head, and it's still 25 about 20, 25 miles away. Let's say to go off, and our trailer would shake from 25 miles away. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like standing next to one of those guns going off. Uh, didn't, didn't you like the illuminations? 
Uh, it looked like big fireworks, you know. And, and then uh, being some of my buddies, you could go. You could go. It was very regulated and regimented, but you could you could hunt on Fort Hood, and we'd go deer hunting there. And they take you out and put you in a stand, and you had to stay in the stand until they came to pick you up because you weren't allowed to get out on the ground and go around because there could be un- unexploded live ordnance and stuff like that. But it was amazing to be put out there in the stand in the pitch black, and then right before sun up the ground would start shaking as they started <laughs> warming those abrams up yeah. and then you wake the sun comes up and you see this line of abrams up on the hill and it's just it's pretty awe-inspiring the power that they have there oh it's largest mili- largest uh, u.s military base in the world it's uh <clears throat> it's an incredible fort and uh uh i think it isn't it I think it was Hood that I, I never went there other than you'd drive by it. It was right after the front gates was uh, Eisenhower Hospital. Um, I'm not sure of the hospital there because most of the Army Hospital there is you know, the ones down in San Antonio because yeah. they have the Brooks Army Hospital down there. Yeah. When we were there, though, uh, was it George Patton's? I think it was his son or his grandson was the commander there, and he had Patton's uh, pistols pistols that he'd wear around. He was wow. he was almost as cocky as his grandfather, but he didn't have the the resume to back it up. But it was still pretty interesting to see him strutting around with his pistols on. I was sort of it's sort of like my son uh, when he was going to uh, Texas A and M, and he calls up and, and uh, Dad, Dad. Guess who I just used the bathroom with? <laughs> Why are you calling me and asking me that question? Well, President Bush came in and <laughs> stood right next to him. <laughs> but you know, and this is this is the like like I started off by by asking, uh, do you know? Have you ever met a veteran that has one story? And this is what the military gives and. What Johns Creek has done, and before I get into that, I want to mention again the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And the biggest compliment that Rick White and Paul Lindgren can get is the fact that it's being copied in many different states now. And that's uh, that's the height of uh, respect and the height of understanding what a state has done and what Paul and and, uh, Rick have done. And if you're traveling to or you're living in Atlanta and you haven't been to the Hall of Fame, please take the time to go downtown. It's right across the street from the state capitol. It's in the Floyd building. And uh, they have a very good uh, cafeteria there, too. So you can uh, go down in the morning, eat lunch, and finish up your tour in the afternoon. But you'll read some stories that are just mind-boggling what our great veterans and our great citizens that loved the United States have done in the past and with that being said what Johns Creek has done if you're not aware of it and I'm not going to steal the thunder but uh, they have the healing wall so Keith what is a healing wall? Well, first, uh, thank you for having me on today. Uh, well, when shortly after the city of Johns Creek was incorporated, veterans in the city came forward with a request that the city do something to acknowledge uh, our, the many veterans in our areas. So it started off with the creation of the Veterans Memorial Walk, which is 
the city of Johns Creek gave us four and a half acres in a corner of the park. And New, then Newtown Park. A Newtown Park, yes, sir. It's off of Old Alabama Road. Oh, and, by uh, the way, i got to stop you. Would you quit calling me sir? I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, I, I know I'm 50 years older <laughs> than you, but I, but I was just a grunt. Well, you know what? Uh, whenever I used to work, when I was a professional, I used to get in a lot of trouble, especially if I was answering to a female, and especially if she was younger than I was, that would give me all that stuff. But unfortunately, I can't do now what I th- did then, and it was to give you the, my, my mother's name and phone number for you to call her because that's the way she raised me. <laughs> um, but anyway, we created the park, and at the time we when we finished it, we have memorials for World War One, Two, Korea. Uh, POWMIA's nurses, uh, Purple Heart, and um, the funds were privately raised. And so we were like, I think, the fourth or fifth largest privately funded veterans memorial in the country. Then back in 2017, to commemorate the Vietnam War Memorial Day, we hosted the traveling wall that heals. It's a two-thirds replica of the Vietnam War Memorial on the Mall in D.C., this thing travels around the country, and every five years they retire it and bring out another one. Well, we had the largest turnout, raised the most money, and all kinds of firsts with it um, when it visited Johns Creek. And so there was a competition on who to want. Anyway, long story short, we won the competition to get the wall. And now that we've, even in spite of COVID, we have installed the wall we haven't had our official dedication yet because the city hasn't granted us the permission for a crowd as large as we expect to have when we do the but it is open to the public it has been since memorial day it's um it's quite a a presentation the folks from the vietnam war memorial foundation in dc the photos and videos that we've sent them of it they say it's the best of the there's, I think we're the fourth or fifth one in the country as far as the display of the traveling wall and is by far the, the best presentation of it. And it's, um, it was incredible working on it. We, um, during the, we were shut down for a few weeks because of COVID, but then we just we, we proceeded anyway. So Rick and Colonel White and myself and Bill Howe, who was on your program last week, we were out there helping in, the concrete guys and carrying those 250-pound slabs of granite to to the go makes up the base, and it's 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 quite 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 impressive. And we hope to have the the um, eventual dedication for it before too long. I think one other thing that uh, Mike was telling me about that y'all will have shortly is the kiosk that. Uh, You'll be able to computer, be able to go to it and type in a name and find out exactly where. I mean, you know, even at the big wall in D.C., I found it frustrating going through trying to find the name of a friend or whatever that I knew was there or on the wall. It was just a matter of finding it. But now with the, at Johns Creek, you all will have the kiosk and the computer where you can type in a name and... Uh, and it'll give you where to go to, to find that name. Indeed. When they, when you put, type in a name, it'll bring up a short bio on the person and wh- what they their, their service a little bit about what put them on the wall. 
as well as the location because there's panels east and west from the apex and it'll tell you which line and how many numbers in and uh it's very helpful now the one the one thing of folks who have seen the wall in dc when they come out here the one thing with the one in dc that's actually the names are engraved in granite you can take a piece of paper and a pencil and you can transfer the name i was working for a company based in dc and we'd have people come in from our corporate office outside of chicago and we'd always take them on a monument tour and i'll never forget the time that we took them and the vietnam war memorial was always one of the monuments that we visited and the one time that one of the guys from chicago came in and he found his brother's name on the wall and i'll never forget him doing the transfer of the name to a piece of paper as tears are coming down his face because he was capturing it to take it home to his mother and i never in dc i never visited the wall that there wasn't someone there that was having a moment i mean just i'd never been to another memorial that that was so obvious to me that it had such powerful meanings to people did uh i'm sure you know roger's story i I was just getting ready to say that roger tells that story see i'm I'm also in addition to being the vice president of john's creek veterans association i'm also captain of the color guard and we're called upon to present the colors at many an event you know you'd say that and i brought this up the other day and and we're going to have a uh, junior varsity or junior ROTC come in and I don't know about other vets but for me you can say the word color guard or I can see a color guard and I still get chill bumps oh it's it's quite 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 an honor for us and you know I think we get a pass sometimes because we're a bunch of old farts out here trying <laughs> to do it and you know, we're, we may not always be in precise step because some guys' steps are a little bit not what they used to be. One, I mean, one of our guys, Peter Manfrey, who's suffering his own health issues right now, he was a door gunner for a Chinook in Vietnam. He got mm-hmm. two Purple Hearts. And I, he may have limp a little bit or he can't carry uh, a rifle. He carries a flag because his arm doesn't quite work all the time right, you know? I have more honor. For, I have more regard for that man. He's the sweetest, most gentle person I've ever known. I think, and I mean, the first time the Chinook got shot down and landed on his head, though he took a couple months to recover. Then they put him right back up there, and then the next time he got a bullet came up through the floorboard, through his foot, and then through his arm. And he's still the sweetest, most humble person. And I love him to death, and that's why I appreciate, we're very appreciative of your moment of silence because we have a lot of guys in the JCVA that are suffering from various health issues, and most of them are not necessarily service-related as in combat, but you know, a lot of guys are getting stuff from Agent Orange that it's not showing up for 50 years. And the whole Amen. gamut, your guy with, with tongue cancer, I mean, we got guys with... Uh, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease that they attributed all back to um, to the Agent Orange. And when you had uh, Bill on last week talking about uh, support of Trump's and his uh, open water, yeah, the, blue uh, water thing, the blue water bill, you know, and I, but we're still fighting these, these battles 60 years after the war. And the terrible thing 
about the guys who are serving over in the sandbox or who or who have been serving in the sandbox. They're going to be fight, fighting the same fights for the next 50 years over the diseases and impairments they get from those burn pits they have over there. Yeah. So we're so quick to center our our our, our best and brightest off to fight these wars, but then we turn our backs on when they come home. It is just... I mean, and if, you know, you got the twenty-two a day from suicides, which I still think is an understatement. I mean, it's—I don't know. I don't know. I think before we ever send anybody to battle, it should be vigorously fought and debated, and no stone left unturned before we ever commit them. But once that first troop plane or ship or anything is loaded, there's only there's only one result that don't is com- that is that is b- winning it. Win. Win. Is keep the politicians and the cake eaters out of it, and let the warriors go in and fight it. Yeah, it's going to be nasty. It's going to be, but it's supposed to be. Vietnam, was, as, as I mentioned, I think last week too, is that you know we went into Vietnam thinking it was another. Even Korea wasn't as nasty as Vietnam, but we thought Vietnam was going to be another World War Two, which quote unquote air quotes was sort of a clean war. They were over there, we were over here, and we were shooting back and forth at each other, sort of like the revolution, you know? And uh, you didn't have some of the dastardly, inhumane things that the Vietnamese did to our soldiers. And, uh, you know, I've got to do one other thing on this, because I know we have a lot of veterans that do listen. And, you know, President Trump... Whether you like him or not, he has done a lot for the veterans. And one of those things, and this is with my friend, is that he had a choice of where he went. And I was talking to a doctor today, that right before this show, and talking. Uh, he works at the VA and says it's still a joke, but better than it was. But the best thing that Trump did was give the veterans the opportunity to choose where they wanted to go. So my my friend went to MD Anderson, one of the best hospitals in the world uh, for cancer, and uh, he's had a miraculous recovery. And uh, uh, I salute our president from being able to stand up to Congress and say we've got to take care of our veterans. And uh, no matter what the fake media says, President Trump supports the military and the I, I guess I'll, I think I said this last week too. I almost cried when I went to uh, see my son in Hawaii at, at his base, and there was plain. This was during the Biden administration, Obama Biden administration, and there was plane after plane on the runway. And I said, you know, I asked my son, where else? You know, they're being cannibalized, and they had to be cannibalized because. Our, the military budget had been cut back so much that they couldn't even fly their support missions or their training missions. And uh, that's not true today. They are flying and flying proud. I have a little bit different story about Hawaii and the military. My, my, my current wife and I, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, last week in the, uh, September the 5th, and which is also the 75th anniversary of victory over Japan. We got married 25 years ago in Maui, and so we we spent a few days on Honolulu, 
our friends whose house we got married at, they were, she was into numbers. Because they had gotten married there on 8-8-88, August the 8th of 1988. So she called us up early in 95, and she said, how about 5995? And I said, no, 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 that's, that's a little bit too early. And my wife hates me to tell this story, but I got the Texas football schedule out. And they, that year, they start, they opened their football season against the University of Hawaii in Honolulu. So I looked at the map, and I called Jeannie up, and I said, how about 9595? So we were getting married, and so we spent a few days on Maui, and our buddy worked for GTE, which was the local telephone company. So he got us a really nice room with a balcony overlooking Waikiki Beach, and then out in the distance was the... Um, was a diamond head <clears throat> so we went we went we knew we were in for something special we went to get our our, our wedding license it was in the building that at the opening of hawaii 50 where 50 headquarters was well that's the building that we had to go get our wedding license in and as we were going in all of a sudden every car alarm around us started going over because there was a formation of helicopters came across right at <laughs> at rooftop level and the vibration set all the things off because it turned out it was the that weekend, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the victory over Japan. So that evening, we were sitting out on the balcony, and around Diamond Head, the Navy did a sail-by. And it had all of their latest and greatest warships and stuff sailing by. And I'm sitting, and just little chills because my dad was in the Navy. And, and then overhead... The Air Force and other organizations flew over. Now, with the airplanes... There's still some World War II ones around, like Spitfire Zeros and Mustangs and things like that. But they flew from those all the way up to the B-1, the B-2, the F-135, all these planes flying over. And it was just, it was it was so impressive, the American power. The only disappointing thing was is that Clinton was president then, and he was out there for the celebration. And he was bivouacked on the USS Yorktown which they had anchored in the middle of Pearl Harbor. And because of that, the harbor was closed, so I wasn't able to go to see the uh, Arizona Memorial, which I wanted to do to honor my dad, who had served in uh, the Navy and, uh, during Korea. So, But anyway, that was pretty cool, though, to, yeah. to see all that, that show the power. It was amazing. Well, I went to a lot of museums when, when we were in Hawaii, and uh, thoroughly, and I... It was good. It was good. So let's get back to Keith. And uh, Okay, so well, tell us, what else would you like to say about uh, Jones Creek Memorial? Well, um, again, well, this week, tomorrow, September the, uh, 18th, 19th, the 18th. 18th, is National POW MIA Appreciation Day. We have a list of speakers who are, and we are, we, uh, Johns Creek Veterans Association, in conjunction with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, are going to commemorate the occasion. Now, we have a list of speakers, but they are in such demand that we couldn't put everything together for Friday, the actual day. So on Saturday, the September the 19th at 4 p.m. at the Veterans Memorial Walk in uh, Newtown Park in Johns Creek, at 4 p.m. at the POWMIA Memorial, there will be a laying of the reef. Our color guard will be there to present the colors. Roger Wise will be introducing us with his freedom isn't free speech that always stirs the crowd up. There will be a Marine Corps group there, 
that will be providing the 21-gun salute, and we're going to have a, bag, uh, a bugler there to sound taps, and we're also going to have a, a bagpiper play some uh, inspirational music. That's at 4 o'clock. Then after the, the laying of the reef, there will be a procession over to the amphitheater, or called or amphitheater, which is right in the middle of the park, at which point we're going to have five different speakers that are all Vietnam, Vietnam POWs. Now, these go from, like, uh, Bill Robinson. He was the longest enlisted military uh, POW in American military history. His story is pretty interesting because he was never actually out in South Vietnam. He was in the Air Force, and he was part of the pararescue team, and he was stationed in Thailand. They got called on a mission to go rescue a pilot and co-pilot down in North Vietnam. So they went in, and then they were shot down attempting to rescue the pilot and co-pilot and they were interned together after he returned to the United States he wrote a book I believe it's entitled The Longest Rescue and when asked why did he name it he said well he said I was never actually in South Vietnam he said but we went into North Vietnam to recover these pilots and they walked out of the prison camp the same day we did which I think is a, a tremendous story. And then another one is Lee Ellis, who we had the pleasure of speaking at one of our JCVA monthly meetings a while ago. He was a POW for five and a half years. Bill was one for seven and a half. And the thing that inspired me the most about Lee is if you sit and try to imagine what being a POW, like especially in the Hanoi Hilton and all the horror stories that came out of that of torture and and he, he will admit that, that, that that stuff happened, but that's not what he remembers. That's not what he took out of it. That's not what's made him the person he is today. The lessons learned and the, what he how he actually benefited from it. If more and more people heard that story and took it to heart, especially the young people, I think the situation in our country would be so much different. And these, these stories are... By the, by the way, the, the two men that you've mentioned... People can go on our website. We've interviewed them, and they've told their stories. And uh, you can download their archive interviews anytime you want. And uh, they they are very inspirational. Yeah, and Lee has made his life as a motivational speaker and a life coach and stuff like that. So he has several books out that are very, very, very uh, beneficial. The thing that these stories mean to me is that when I was stationed at Bergstrom, from 75 to 79, a lot of the POWs who came back, those who stayed in the service, mostly, most of them got out, but those who stayed in, we had several of them stationed at Bergstrom. And one of those was Colonel John Stavis. He was a POW for seven and a half years. You know, I was telling you earlier about how my wife and I, we, my wife at the time, we we take turns of whether she traveled from Austin to Colleen or I traveled from Fort Belton or from Lake Belton to Austin. Well, it was during a period where I was traveling back to Bergstrom and I had a Volkswagen pop top camper and I worked in an office. So I didn't want my and I, I took I took pride in how I looked in my uniform. So I didn't want in the hour and a half drive my shirt to get all wrinkly. So I'd put my, my, my blue pants on, my boots, and T-shirt, and I'd hang my, my shirt on a hanger behind the seat. And then when I got to the office, 
I'd put my shirt on and I'd get all get all like I'm supposed to be. Well, I pull into the building and I'm parked right in front of the building. I'm not ten steps from the front door, and so I get out. I I grab my shirt. I have the door open. I'm walking in. I hear Airman, and I look over and there's Colonel Stavis, just driven by the corner of the building, and he saw me and he caught me. And I could tell you, if any other officer on the base had called me on that, probably wouldn't have bothered me a bit. But knowing that he had been a POW for seven and a half years, and the hell that he had been through, that was one man I, I had to honor. And that has been, God, 40 years? I don't know. It's been a long time, but it still bothers me today that he's the one that caught me. And anyway, I was talking to Lee Ellis about it, and he said he was very, very good friends with John. We lost him a couple years ago, but anyway, so I, I'm I'm just looking very much forward to listening to these people, and I hope the people will come out and and listen to their stories because it's 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 pretty all inspiring. It is, and uh, you know, I'm just glad that we're beginning to honor. All veterans, not not just Vietnam, but we're honoring our Desert Shield and Desert Storm veterans and uh, anybody that served. And uh, the one thing that I, another thing that I do, because it's my show and I can do it, uh, <laughs> but I have all the respect in the world and honor them almost above any and everybody and that's the dust off pilots mm. what they did in Vietnam revolutionized the helicopter and the importance of it and if there's ever been a spotlight that should be shined on someone it's the dust off pilots that never I don't think one of them ever thought about themselves ever all they were focused on was doing their job picking up somebody that had been shot down or wounded or whatever and i just again have all the respect in the world for a dust-off pilot and that that actually um that is one of our hope to future memorials to add to our veterans memorial walk that we have some uh well, i got positive. another one we're talking about too that is going to be from america's web radio and uh that's honoring all the women that served in Vietnam. And uh, the nurses that we've had Donna Rowe on, I'm sure you know Donna. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she jumped on the helicopter and went with the dust-off pilots in, on many occasions. And, you know, Vietnam taught us a lot. And uh, the the stories, like you said, veterans generally won't tell war stories, but the ones that have and the ones that we've heard just unimaginable that one human could do that to another human and uh, you know it was a eye-awakening war I guess and uh, one of the funny things was uh, General Dix uh, did a show for us uh, remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and we were talking about the fact that um, our government, and I don't want to say this wrong because my son's in Intel and I know that he must be doing a great job and <laughs> knows what he's doing, but it was going into Desert Storm 
we took our European tanks and APCs and equipment that were green and put them on a on a sand desert and they stuck out like sore thumbs and so they had to ship everything back to the United States to Fort Stewart and they started painting them well you know we we get in the same go around and uh, we we have been very blessed very very blessed and a lot of folks don't understand this that we've won in spite of ourselves many times and I honestly think that has to be that we're still loved by the man upstairs. And uh, we may make mistakes, but he still got our six. And uh, we, we make mistakes, but we come out of it. And we'll come out of our problems that we have today. So, with that being said, we've got about uh, 13 minutes to go. What else do we need to hit on? You know, you're talking about stories, uh, the unsung heroes and stuff. Have you seen the the recent movie, The uh, Last Full Measure? Mm-hmm. It's uh, the story, and I, oh, God, I'm, uh, I'm reticent to bring it up because I can't remember the, the, the airman's name. Anyway, he's the first and only Air Force enlisted person to be awarded the CMH. He was an air rescue. He went into a battle in Vietnam. It was, of course, every time you hear these stories, it says it's always the bloodiest battle of the war. But anyway, he was he was uh, Air Force Air uh, Pair Rescue, and they went in to extract wounded from this battle. And whenever they they flew in found out that the medics on the ground had all been wo- either wounded or killed so he just he just dropped line right down in the middle of the battle and he hooked people up and he refused to leave hmm. and he stayed there and he fought with them now the, if you watch listen, the movie I mean the army just the leadership just totally screwed up that battle that's why it was kept silent for so long because they made so many mistakes and left these guys there to die but he had uh, multiple options to get to leave, and he refused, and he stayed there, and he died in battle, fighting alongside these army guys that he didn't know from Adam, but it was just the right thing to do. And it was the survivors from the army that fought for 30 years to get him the proper recognition. Wow. And, you know, the stories uh, the stories from Vietnam, I, I guess Vietnam is... Like you said, that was our our war, not that we were there, but our time frame and friends and family and stuff went there. So it's always one that's close to my heart. But you know, with that story, I I again try to always mention that uh, my attitude changed considerably with the stories that I've heard, and and I would love to have someone on if you know them. But during our era. Uh, I had zero respect for anybody that was a conscientious objector, and we had a bunch of them. That uh, I was, I was right at the end of the draft and in the lottery, and then, then the uh, volunteer started shortly after that. But we had conscientious objectors that wound up serving. They wouldn't carry a weapon but they carried the bag with the Red Cross on it. And so many of them 
are, are incredible heroes that they would risk their lives to go give aid to a downed soldier, downed anything. And if you were a conscientious objector, please take my apology and know that I salute you and respect you for the service that you gave to our brothers and sisters that were wounded anywhere. And, uh, you know, there were... You know, it's amazing, like the stories. And if you will, we got about a minute, or no, we got a couple of minutes ago. Uh, I want you to relate Roger's story in a minute. But, uh, you know, we've got so many people that, for lack of better words, and uh, they don't know themselves. And,. They go into battle or they go into a situation, and the real person comes out. The real hero comes out. And not a one of them will say they're a hero. But I, I can honestly say, and I bet you'd be the same way. They, now, I don't think there's a, a branch in the world that it would take either one of us back again. But <laughs> if we were called, I don't, I don't think I've had a veteran on that if we were needed, we'd go back in in a heartbeat. And I, I think, think that I goes. I think so folks may find that out on the city streets here in the United States, depending on what happens in the future. We've got quite a, quite quite a standing army right here, right now, of veterans. Yep, you're right. So anyway, uh, Roger, okay, Roger the, Wise. The like I had said earlier, whenever I visited the wall in D.C., there's never a, t- a time that I was there that someone wasn't having. And a, a moment because of visiting the wall. It was taking them back to a place in the war, a time that they had probably forgotten, or a battlefield where they're back with their friends. It's the same reason that a lot of people d- never saw the wall in D.C., because they didn't have the courage, they thought the courage or whatever, or they were reluctant to face it again. So when we had it here, when we had it on display, it was seven or ten days in March of 2017. It was open seven seven by twenty four. We had people there to not ever ever see the wall, but to be there to to help people that were there. And a lot of people visited during the day, and it was great to see young parents out there with their kids, telling them about what it was. But it was in the late night hours or the early morning hours that you would see. It was the vets that were out there, and they'd be sitting there, and you alternately crying or laughing or whatever. They're sharing stories with their buddies on the wall. Well, one day, Roger's out there, and this lady's out there with her son, and she said, Mr. Wise, are you Mr. Wise? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, could you hold on for a minute? She, I want to talk to you, but first we have to go to the wall. He said, sure. So she um, takes her son out to the wall. They have a moment, and then they come back, and she comes up to Roger with tears in her eyes, and she says, I want to thank you. He said, my son was able to meet his father today for the first time because she had been pregnant with her son whenever her husband had deployed to Vietnam, and then he never returned home. And I've heard Roger tell that story a hundred times, and I never once is there not hasn't there been an audible noise from the crowd and more than one teary-eyed just and that's 
that's how powerful that wall is. And I know when we were out there putting the granite up, the the, the panels with the names were already up, but we're putting the granite up on on the base and on the top. And the number of vets that would come out and now I talked about vets that wouldn't talk to talk war stories and stuff, but it's different when you're standing in front of that memorial because they'll come up and they'll touch a name on a panel and then they have to tell you about that person. And the only way they can tell you about that person is that day in that terrible place and what happened. A kid who I went to uh, I went to church with and he went to my high school. Uh, he's on panel 51 East. No, 31 East Line 57. He was 19 years old in February of 1969 in the Marine Corps when he was killed. And I, I, I stay in touch with his family, and I know how much it means to them, how how painful it still is to this day. Uh, what is it, 51 years later, whatever? Um, so I know how what that wall means to people, and it was... That's why I take such great pride in what we've done to put forth there and the way, the manner in which we've presented it. I mean, we've tried to do it with as much respect to not only the 58,314 names that are on there, but you know, if you take in all the people who died of Agent Orange, that wall would be three times the size that it is. And we just do our best to honor those who came before us and that is the war that most of us are surviving still we have very very few ww2 warriors left and just a few more of the korean veterans so and we're losing our vietnam veterans daily so it's and i do i, I know that from my position as uh, captain of the color guard we've over the last year we've presided and handled the flag duties at multiple veterans Funerals and yeah, I know. I know the Supreme Court has issued that it is a constitutional right to burn the flag. I understand that, and there's people that went to war and died to protect the people's right to do something so stupid and inconsiderate. However, at these events and presenting the flag to a veteran's family and seeing what it means to them. I view the whole flag burning as totally something different, but you know, I've I've said, and I've asked a couple of veteran friends. I've been very fortunate that I've never walked up on somebody desecrating our flag, burning it, stomping on it, or doing anything else. Because I don't know what I do. I know I, I I'm already crazy, so <laughs> I, I'd be that much more crazy i suppose but um i we ought to walk on our knees every day and always thanking god for the fact we were born here and we live here and part of that is our flag that uh, the star spangled banner covers and you know we are so fortunate and my thing is like many people's you don't like it, move. Go somewhere else. Go to another country. See how you like Venezuela today, you know? And get the hell out of my country because I love it. And uh, you don't have any right to do anything to the flag other than salute it. By the way, tomorrow, uh, 
during the the 19th and stuff and, and a lot of veterans don't remember this or don't maybe they don't know it but when our national anthem is played or a color guard goes by if you're a veteran you have every right to salute and that's a congressional the congress passed the law that if you're even if you're not in uniform you're a vet render a salute and uh like I said, the color guard and and our country, and when you're saluting, you're not just saluting the flag going by, but you're saluting the country, and we live, we're in the greatest country in the world, and so so fortunate. With that being said, Keith, we're about out of time. Well, it's been an honor and pl- pr- uh, privilege to be on your show today, Dave. I appreciate it. Well. Uh, will you come back? I'd be glad to. Love to have you, and uh, uh, we might even talk more about you. If you <laughs> come back. And uh, we we could give uh, we could <clears throat> give Mike Mazel uh, uh, a little a little grief, and uh, Rick White a little grief, and Mister uh, Mister uh, Colonel White deserves. I will both of them do a lot. Mike does a lot with. Uh, our organization and leadership and involvement in other organization and Rick White, uh, what he's done for both the JCVA and what he's doing for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, are I'm just proud to have both of them as my friends. It's an honor, and and again, this is something that I say all the time that uh, if if you're a grandparent or a parent and you've got or a kid listening to the show and you haven't decided what you want to do after you graduate from high school or from college, look at the military. It is a fantastic opportunity and there's a program. I don't think the military misses anything of being able to educate you in something that uh, you want to do and it's everything from data processing up and down the gambit and uh, you know a lot of kids uh, like uh, airplanes and like uh, flying drones well there's a heck of a program for that and it's anything that you want to do and with that being said we want to thank you for listening to America's Web Radio and ask that you tell your friends. And uh, I hope that we can uh, twist Keith's arm into uh, telling a couple of his friends about being on America's Web Radio. And we certainly appreciate Keith coming over and, and being here in, in person, live and direct from the studios of America's Web Radio. And we do thank you and look forward to you coming back, Keith. Thanks, David. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.